Welcome to Tapping Into Spirit, where we discuss and explore issues related to spirituality in a manner that questions everything. We start from a premise that everything comes from somewhere and work to understand the unexplainable. We always endeavor to have a great time discussing a serious topic with the hopes of offering inspiring thoughts and ideas that allow for growth, evolution, and transformation. We always begin by inviting Spirit to join us in this conversation and guide our words and intentions so that we express things in a manner that is true and inspirational. And we are always thankful and extremely grateful for the opportunity to serve. Okay, welcome to Tapping Into Spirit. And we are glad that you're joining us here today. We have a wonderful session today. We're going to be talking with an astrologer, Mr. Samuel Reynolds, who is out of Brooklyn, New York, and he's going to talk to us about his path of spirit and how he uses astrology and other things that he does to help people tap into spirit and get a sense of their path in life and how they can best uh, walk that path. Um, so welcome, Mr. Reynolds. How are Thank you? Thank you. I'm good. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Glenda. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Good, good. You want to say anything to get started, Linda? Um, I am really interested in this episode, this episode of our podcast, um, because I know only surface level information about astrology. However, I have a lot of belief in it, even though I don't have as much information um, as I would like, because it was something that my mother loved. Okay. And my mom, my mother transitioned a few months ago. And, Sorry. Oh, thank you for your kindness. So it's kind of a, an appropriate time for me to learn about something that that I love and have an interest in, but don't know enough about. So I Great. Really appreciate being you being here. Yeah. And thank you for having me. To you know, we a, a lot of people know about horoscopes or that type of thing, and they have talked about. Uh, people read the, the small horoscopes in the paper or they say, oh, this is my sign and this is how it works, that kind of thing. Um, but it's much deeper than that. So um, I'm glad we have somebody like yourself who studies this because I'm and we can get into this. I, I think it's a science um, and there's some spiritual aspects to it as well. So um, hopefully we're going to talk about the merging of those two and how you see it. Um, and give people more insight into exactly uh, what astrology is, where it evolved from, where it came from, and all that. Uh, but to start, why don't you say a little bit about how you came to even be involved in uh, being an astrologer to begin with? Was this something that you knew you wanted to do as a child? No, no. Um, I, I wanted to be a lot of things when I was a child, including Superman and... <laughs> and Batman but I think the, the most pronounced thing like when I was a child um, was to be a criminologist but I went into the gospel ministry when I was 12 so I felt a calling no one in my immediate family was a minister no one pushed me into it 
Um, I became more of an evangelical fundamentalist Christian, which was more of an extreme than anyone else in my immediate family. Um, so from 12 to 19, I was Reverend Samuel F. Reynolds. Um, so, and that was like what, what informed what I thought would be my adult trajectory, which was to be an evangelist. And then I went to college and um, I first fell out in, in terms of faith with my church. And then it became more with the religion. And by the time I was a graduate student in African-American studies, pursuing my master's and PhD, it became a loss of faith in God. Mm -hmm. So this is roughly around 22 years old at that particular point. And I essentially got into astrology trying to shut up a Gemini. Um, you know, isn't that like the, the, the reason for most things? No, I'm kidding. Um, but I had a woman, an older woman who I had a crush on, mm -hmm. who did not have a crush on me. But when you're 22, right, you just think you can mack with anybody, right? <laughs> and anything, you know, at least I did. Right, right. And, uh, but she was, she was kind enough, because she was part of an ethnographic study I was conducting at the time, and she was, what we could say, like an informant, you know, in terms of talking about the research related to it. And so she decided to friend me, and she was really into astrology, and I really was not into astrology. I hated astrology. Mm -hmm. I hated astrology, I think, as a remnant of my evangelical days, but mostly because I was born in a quote-unquote cusp between Scorpio and Sag. Okay. And she um, was convinced I was more the Scorpio. And I was like, no, nah, if I had to choose between being an arachnid, the bug, and the centaur, I'm definitely the centaur, right? I'm going to be like with the arrows, you know, the only sign that actually has weapons. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no. Nah. Anyway, long story short, I end up meeting an astrologer, got a consultation, and for the first 15 minutes of it, I thought it was just complete, you know, BS. I was just like, okay, tell me something I don't know. Mm -hmm. And he went into more my, like, not even childhood, but even like what was happening with my mother and my brother and my father. Um, not in like incredible detail, because he, he didn't know exactly what he was seeing, but he was like, I see something happening between your mother and your brother. You know, maybe something your brother, you know, saying to your mom. And that's exactly what had happened that kind of like complicated her pregnancy with me. Mm -hmm. And that set me flowing. You know, that set me like, what is this? How does this work? This is a gimmick, some <laughs> kind of game. So I spent 10 years trying to disprove astrology. Mm. So I, I looked at charts, you know, studied it, still not believing in it, not believing that it made any sense until like I realized that I had at, I had almost become, not fully, but had almost become an astrologer. I was doing charts, but, you know, I wasn't like thinking of myself as professional as much as doing it for fun. And then, you know, trying to find some way or a loophole to see like, aha, I think I, think I figured out how he did it. Right. Until like I realized that it was more an act of spirit and study. Okay. Mm. So, so let's go back a bit I, and we'll come back up to this, but... I'm really curious about how you, at 12 years old, become a reverend. 
and there's nobody in your family that was doing that. What um, facilitated that happening? No, that, that's another story. But um, I think the sort of it is, I, I also was born with a good number of birth defects. And so in my lifetime, I've had from head to toe about 27 different surgeries mm. um, from, you know, more serious ones to very light ones, you know, like teeth extractions, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and during the course of my life, I had heard, well, you're a miracle, you know, God wanted you for a purpose. So when I was 11 years old, being exposed to thoughts in school about evolution and like, I had come to a realization, well, I don't think there is a God. So I had gone to a moment where I was like, oh, well, maybe there is no God, right? And at, I had embraced- at, at 11? Yeah. Okay. But does it make any sense? I was just like, okay, well, like if we came through evolution and then what the ministers have been talking about. So I also went to a camp for special needs children um, called Cradle Beach Camp. And there was a, a counselor there who was proselytizing. And one of the ways in which he proselytized about the gospel is that he had comic books. Now, I love comic books. You heard me talk about Batman and Superman. So I was really into collecting comic books. So I read one of these, these little tracks he had. You know, you've probably seen them, the Jack T. Chick tracks, um, who just recently passed, and they're like, like little, like, you know, cartoons and things like that. And one stood out, which was, this, this is your life. Um, and that particular tract got to me because it was the idea that at the end of your life, God was going to play before the hosts of heaven and everyone else on the planet, even your thoughts, not just your actions, but your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And there was one particular thought that I had, I remember very clearly when I was six years old, that I was like, that can't get out. And the thought was, yes, Glenda's laughing. So it's like, and you know, now I can laugh about it, but I was horrified. You know, like I remember being in my bed at camp and going like, okay, if any of this is real, I might be doomed. And the thought, just so you know, I don't even, you know, you're, listeners or viewers hanging. My thought was that God was an exile from another world of gods and made his own world. And that's how, you know, everything came to be. Now, I know from studying Gnostic thought, that was like a very Gnostic principle. Um, but at six, I was just like, okay, that's, that's interesting. And I just remember thinking that. But I was like, well, that would be blasphemous for this God. And so anyway, I converted, I became a Christian, um, gave my life to Christ. And I thought that would also make sense of everything that my elders have been saying about my life. Um, you know, maybe it was for this purpose. And then I felt a calling. I mean, that's a whole longer story, but while at camp and camp was two weeks, like the sec, I became a Christian the first week. Then I became a minister the second week. And I shouldn't say a minister. I felt the calling. And then when I got home, um, I got in the car with my mom. And I said, like, I found Jesus. And she's like, great. Okay. <laughs> you found Jesus. Okay. Uh, what else? And I said, I wanna, I'm going to preach for the Lord. And here's the trippy part. The trippy part is, as we, many of us know, and that's why I'm, I'm happy to talk to black folk, I had a granny mm -hmm. who, um, you know, prayed and everything like that. And she lived with us. 
And when my mother went to pick me up, and this is what my mother told me in the car, um, when my mother went to pick me up, she said, my granny said, well, go pick up the preacher. <laughs> and when she told me that, I was like, why did granny know? Because I hadn't written home or mm -hmm. called home to say, like, I'm going into the ministry. Mm -hmm. Before, like, we had cell phones and everything else and whatever. I just wrote from camp, and that was pretty much it. You only called mom or your parents when you needed it. So I, um, my mom followed up, found me, because uh, our church at the time was going through problems, found me another church for another pastor, Reverend Samuel K. Williams. He took me under his wing, and I preached my first sermon on my mother's birthday about two months after I had been called by God. Now, what I can tell you after all of that is that I'm not a fan of this process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I went through it and I understand why it happens, but I don't believe if I saw my niece or nephew going through that process, I would say why well, I was against it. So, go ahead. I was going <laughs> to ask. So the process that you went through, um, how much of that do you feel contributes to who you are today? And if, okay. if you feel it does, would you, and if so, why would you deter a niece or a nephew from going through their process to become where, to become who they need to be or learn what it is they need to learn? Well, I get what you're saying. And I understand that you can't extract one strand of who you are, not become who you are. But at the same, that's also true for anyone who goes through some particular trauma, right? You know, or goes through some particular kind of brutality. So for instance, I'm in a Greek letter organization who we're, you know, we got our butts beat. I'm not gonna encourage hazing, right? So there is no, um, actual hazing technically in the process of being a young minister, but here's the problem I have with it. And that was an excellent question, Glenda. I get what you're saying. So I am grateful for who I've become through that, but it's not something that I think is as great as people make it out to be in our community. You know, speaking about spirituality, one of the reasons is that children get used as proof of concept um, related to like, as God existing. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's coming from the mouth of babes. Mm -hmm. And then, which, I mean, I think that's fine for a child who has some, you know, actual spiritual devotion. But to kind of burden that with the responsibility that's usually given to an adult without full acknowledgement of that child as a child, I think is the problem, which okay. is what happened for me. You know, to become reverend and having adults kind of come to me, I'm like, you know, just two years ago, don't tell anybody I was playing with Steve Austin dolls, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, yeah, and here you are asking me about your marriage. Okay. Right, right. You know, because I, I know some Bible verses and I sound good when I pray and I'm eloquent, whatever, and that, you know, for you, that means that God is speaking through me, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's a loaded thing. And I think that permeates different levels of our community. So for instance, now, another conversation i'm a muslim I'm a practicing muslim okay um so i mean i went from christianity atheism we'll get to that and then right. to islam right right um with all my reasons but um 
you know, now I, I hear kids recite the Quran as we're going to, you know, to um, Ramadan. Mm -hmm. And again, that becomes another proof of concept. Look how he recites the Quran. Alhamdulillah, you know, like it's wonderful. I'm like, you know, okay, you can, like kids learn. This is what they do. Right. Um, and so it becomes a way in which we kind of load these kids with so much responsibility related to our spirituality, not acknowledging their childhood or that there are different things that are necessary for the child. Hmm. Like this is an arc. Like I, I really, I, I could have been, you know, what I would recommend per your point is that um, definitely been more a youth minister, kind of talking more to youth, um, being active with other kids, but kind of like necessarily just always sharing the pulpit, you know, having my own Sunday school class, all these other things. There's a lot more supervision that was necessary. Mm -hmm. Well, just one brief comment. I I inherited Christianity, um, as most of us did. A lot of us did. And one of the things that you are speaking on is something that I've observed um, in in the church. I'm not going to say in Christianity. It's in the church. How a person who says they have a calling can be go from just coming into the church to leading the church Correct. without the preparation that's necessary to be a leader in a matter of weeks or days. You're correct. And to me, that can be very problematic. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Now imagine that for a child. I, I can only imagine it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I take issue with. So you're bringing up the larger point, which I definitely corroborate, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, children get this other kind of thing. And you, if you like look at many child preachers, many of them end up atheists by the time that they're grown mm. or at the time they're grown. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of understandable why. Mm. You know, I'm one of the lucky ones who at least circled back to religion. Right, right. You, you, so there are, there are some similarities in, in there's some parallels in our path. I, I grew up the son of a Pentecostal preacher and from the age of five, that's all I knew, you know, Pentecostal, holiness, church every Sunday, Tuesday, Friday, street meetings, passing out those tracks you talked about, mm -hmm. <laughs> all of that. And then I went to a Catholic university and had my whole world flipped upside down, taking theology and philosophy and watching the Catholics, you know, do their, do their mass every week and get absolved of their sins in, in, the, in the 10 minute uh, confession. And I became agnostic as well. <laughs> and then circled around to a newer understanding of uh, God and spirit as I you know, started learning about and studying a number of different uh, spiritual traditions. Um, but one question I did have, when you were a child, as you look back on it now, do you feel like you were feeling spirit or do you feel like you were manipulated into spirit? Manipulated how? In terms of this is what I'm teaching you and so you have no choice but to believe that. You understand? So I like to encourage people, and this is why we do this podcast, because I want people to be critical thinkers, right? Whatever it is that you believe, I want you to believe that because you have an intuitive 
um, connection to what it is you're believing or you've studied it in a way that it makes sense to you, not that you're doing it because this is what mom and them told me to do. Well, there's a joke and it's not fully a joke. It's actually from a conversation with spirit. Cause I asked spirit, a sort of a similar question. So, you know, as I, you know, this may have been more in my late twenties going into my thirties and I have been deep in, in meditation. And I, even though I, you know, shifted away from God, I didn't shift away from spirit. I just didn't know what spirit was. It was like more my intuition, you know, you know, I kind of called it like inner self, whatever, whatever you wanted to call it. And I asked, you know, like, so what was that voice? Cause I did hear a voice that commissioned me to go into ministry, you know, that said like, I want you to preach. And what spirit said was like, yeah, it was, you know, it was me. I said, I want you to preach. I was like, then, then I went into the ministry. I've seen the fallacies of, you know, Christianity, all that. Yeah, I told you, I want you to preach. I never told you what. <laughs> and you kind of just ran with what you thought it was. Right. So I was like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so that's how I had to own it. Like, well, you know, I went off in terms of my own tradition and understanding of what preaching meant. But you were 12. Um, Exactly. So it makes sense. It was, and, and, you know, per Glenda's point, I mean, I don't know what else I really could have, would have done, you know, and I think at some point it, it was the thing that kept my mind and soul intact. Cause let me tell you, I don't know how it was for you, but when those strands started to unravel at 19, I think I was nearly at the break, at the brink of a of a nervous breakdown. Not fully full on nervous breakdown, but I'll never forget the moment I was um, in my TA's office, and I had a number of questions. You know how we can be. Like I was all, you know, student. I had my notebook, and I, and I have a couple of questions. <laughs> and. So I went in and I asked my questions to him and he was like, you know, breaking it because I was, you know, learning all this and it was very different than my understanding of the Bible. And then I'll never forget. And I was like, well, if this isn't true, then this isn't true. And I was going through and I was like, that's not true. Right. And this isn't true. And blah, blah. And he said, stop. You know what I want you to do? You know, the next semester, I don't want you to take any religion classes. <laughs> don't. Don't take any religion classes. Just take a break. I think you need a break. I think there's a lot that you're unpacking and just, you know, you need time to unpack it. One of the wisest things he could have said to me. Because I think if I had gone on that course, I might have spiraled out into like, well, anything can happen. Because I did reach a similar moment, but I was still even older. And I think, you know, I had a different, you know, moment it was a different mm, a different moment so i had two moments of loss of faith mm -hmm. one of them in terms of spirit was related to religion and one of them was related to the cause you know in terms of like black nationalism you know Af i was in the afrocentric department mm -hmm. and we were going to change the world and you know i'll say it now you know i was with dr malifia sante okay. you know and we were going to do all this you know so so when I saw cracks in that, it was like, 
well, what do I hold on to? Right, right. So, and it was interesting because that's the moment astrology also came into my life. Mm. Wow. Okay. So that's kind of to bring us full circle. That yeah. was kind of like, and, and I, I got into astrology, as I said, the way I did, but in a philosophical level, what also, and I remember I have it in my journals, um, I was like, well, ultimately, astrology is absurd. Um, so is the construction of race. Now, I don't believe we as Black people are absurd. What I'm talking about is what are the systems in place and used to oppress us, right, based on absurdities that white people created in Europe, mm -hmm. right? And I'm very clear. I mean, like when, you know, on social media, wherever, where white people kind of come and say, like, well, racism is something. Nope, y'all created it. You made it. Mm -hmm. I've looked at your history. I've read the history. Y'all made it up. Right. So it's an absurdity that you made up. Right. It has no basis in science or anything else. And this is what you've used to oppress and suppress and repress hundreds and millions and billions of people for centuries. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when I kind of broke open that concept, because I did as a metaphysic think that there was something that was always intrinsically black, always intrinsically white, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, those are things that kind of were foist upon us. Right. Okay. So anyway, that was kind of like the other breaking point. Yeah, yeah. It, it, we have a lot of similar parallels. <laughs> um, so, all right, let's, now you're 22, you're, you're, well, you embarked upon this path. What started happening for you as you're learning about astrology? Well, I got out of academia um, because I essentially was thrown out. Um, <laughs> I was thrown out, um, basically because as I also started questioning Dr. Sante and his ideas, and I was naive. I mean, I, I can fault, you know, my elders to the day, you know, until the cows come home, even though I had some elders there, it's like, you know what, just get your degree, shut up and just get out, which is probably the advice I would follow now. Right. But, you know, I was 22. Like, you know, academia is for the exchange of ideas. You know, Dr. Sante, he's open to that. You know, like I remember, I'll just give you an illustration. Mm -hmm. Part of my ethnography was looking at the meaning and the idea of number and its impact on people. So I was doing an ethnography of a Social Security office. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking about the idea of number and what that means to people. Influenced by the number of the beast, you're probably hearing it in there at the 666. And I was like, what's, what's the impact? Um, in the psychology of people. And I'll never forget, I asked Dr. Asante, I was like, Dr. Asante, you changed your name from Arthur Smith, right? Yes, I did. And I was like, did you change your social security number? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> right, so I was just like, it was just a question about the authenticity of number and how that like works in their lives. Mm -hmm. Anyway, with questions like that, I, I eventually found myself without funding. Wow. <laughs> So I, I ended up having to teach in the English department. I had made some friends in the English department. So that's how I was able to complete my last year. Mm -hmm. But it was then I was like, I don't know if I'm, you know, cut out for academia. So I did the next best thing and I went into acting. And I went into like theater and writing and poetry, wanted to be more creative. Mm -hmm. And all the while I was studying astrology, mm -hmm. you know, but it was just, like a hobby, like anything. And like, I would pick up the books of 
Borders, you remember Borders and Barnes and Noble, you know, before we had the order books or whatever, um, or could read them on a Kindle. Um, so I, uh, you know, just would be reading and that's kind of what I would do pretty much from 22. But I also was lost, Anthony, for a while. So meaning, um, I remember, you know, for a long period of time, you know, I was working full time too. It was the only full time full time job I've ever had. Because um, after that, I kind of just hobbled together income from multiple sources, mm-hmm. you know, making other things happen. But um, there were many Saturdays where I would spend like looking at the blank wall, meditating and zoning out. Um, and then other times reading, you know, like I read um, a book that still influences me. Richard writes um, The Outsider. I don't know if you've ever read that, but um, that, a lot of existentialism, a lot of Nietzsche, you know, so it was like a a time of soul searching, but also I remember it was a dark time. So pretty much from 22, you know, I was like doing theater till roughly when I moved to New York. Um, When when was that? I want to say at 33. Um, yeah, I moved to New York from Philadelphia. I was in Philadelphia. Right, right. So that um, that was kind of like, you know, my, my, my time. And when I moved to New York, that's where I eventually met, you know, more astrologers, went to my first astrology conference. That was a trip. Um, and also um, started doing certifications in astrology. And in 2002... I got an office and put out my shingle as a professional astrologer. Okay. And so at 2002, you, that was the 10 year point where you. Well, that at that particular point, it was like more like 11 or 12 years, but it was really in, in 2000, my first year in New York, um, I was at a party, a Christmas party. And I was talking to this dude, white guy about astrology. And he was like debating me about it. And he's like, you don't believe it, do you? And I was like, I, yeah, I think I do. <laughs> and that was the moment when I realized that I had gone from just kind of kicking it from 1991 or when was I? I had my first reading in 1990. I'd gone from kicking at it to like, like, yeah, this has validity. It has meaning. So it was really 2000. So it was more between 2000 to 2002. I started thinking, well, What's the next level? What's the next rung? Sure. And are you, can, you, can you speak to what shifted for you over those 10 years? In terms of astrology? Well, one was doing charts. It was like literally doing the charts of friends, bless you, doing the charts of friends, doing the charts of you know, family, learning more about how it might be related to celebrities and seeing like, oh, wow, this is like really, you know, consistent in terms of what I'm seeing. And it seemed to be going beyond just guesswork. I think the other thing that I I think was working, you know, in terms of spirit and kind of unfolding um, is that, and it's interesting because I, even though I didn't like astrology, I was still fond of numerology, tarot, and I would go to a Babalao for readings. So I would consult with the Odu. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the people I would go to see is an Obatala priestess 
um, at least once a year, dressed in her all white, talking about spirit. And she has something every year. I think we know her as Iyanla Van Zant. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of people don't know. Like, she's a priestess of Abatala, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Let that go. We won't say anything else. But, <laughs> um, you know, that's who she was. And that's who I used to go see in Philly. And um, so I, I had like a friendliness toward, and I called them hermeneutics, ways of understanding the world that, you know, I didn't necessarily have to believe, but, you know, were ways of entertaining an aspect and, and accessing different aspects of thought. Um, but what happened over those 10 years, especially between, I would say the real big acceleration was 2001. And that wasn't just because of 9-11. I went to my first astrology conference. Again, that's a trip, because I haven't even talked about being black and being an astrologer. Right. Um, Okay, we have to get there. Um, But I went to my first astrology conference and started studying astrology. And um, I went to a talk there, you know, by a white man who said in a room of white people, because I was the only black person there, he said, well, if it hadn't been for the Moors, um, we wouldn't have astrology. We mm. probably still be like almost practically in caves, not really accessing what had been what had existed before. And I really did look around, <laughs> and I was like, and all the white people seemed to be like, you know, attentive. And I was just like, did, this did you hear what he just said? Right? <laughs> did I just hear him say this? And so. I actually went up to him, introduced myself, and then he told me that he had online classes. And I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) I'll go online, download your classes. And so, because I was actually getting bored with astrology, so I discovered this whole different world of medieval astrology, which had come fresh from the Moors. It's a a longer conversation from the Islamic world, and was fascinated. And um, so I was studying it, and at the same time, my girlfriend at the time took me to a Kabbalah class. And I discovered Kabbalah, you know, even though I knew about it in, you know, abstraction. And I'll tell you, like, how I met that astrologer, um, I talked about how I went to, to see. I was looking for a Kabbalistic text. <laughs> and it was only at his store in Philly. So when I went to this Kabbalah class, I think it really kind of, like, accelerated, like, the, the fact that spirit was ready to call me, call me back. And I was like, okay, now you have a different conception of God. Can we stop pretending now and, you know, you really embrace spirit as self, mm-hmm. right? Um, rather than trying to, like, wander in your wilderness of atheism that really isn't atheism. And I say it like that because it wasn't so much I dis- disbelieved in God. I just refused to talk about God. So just to get people off my back, I would say atheism. Because then I was like, okay, I'll shut that window. Right. It really was more so I didn't, I no longer had a familiar conception of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had to, you know, wait until I had found one. Okay. Okay. And just so our listeners understand, could you just give a brief explanation of the Kabbalah? Sure. So there's a couple of different ways. It's the esoteric traditions that hark back even to ancient Kemet. Um, you know, as seen in Hermes Trismegistus. Um, and many of these teachings became condensed and related to biblical teachings that 
are sussed out um, by Hebrew scholars, and it reaches a peak of that during the 16th century, um, or sorry, the 15th, late 15th century, just before the Jews were kicked out of, of um, Spain with like the apex of, you know, the emergence of medieval thought related to ancient, um, ancient thought, religion, like in terms of Islam and Christianity and Judaism and kind of merging of the two. So there are at least multiple schools of thought that come out of that but its roots go farther back. So that's the, the essence of Kabbalistic thought. Okay, all right, good, good. So you're taking this class. Yeah. All cylinders and, are starting to fire and you decide to start doing this yourself. Well, um, well, I started studying and um, I started studying more astrology, but and I had been doing charts, but I realized that there was a lot I didn't know. So I started going for, because I mean, like many people who study astrology, there's something called, you know, being an autodidact. You just kind of read the books. And, you know, I didn't even know like, oh, y'all have astrology conferences? <laughs> mm -hmm. And there's, you know, all these other books that are, aren't at borders or whatever. Um, so it opened up really a whole different, world for me set of worlds mm -hmm. so i started doing certification through the national council for geocosmic research ncgr and so i went on for three levels of certification um and then studying with various astrologers in new york city one of the great things about being in new york was that you know it has a strong and vibrant astrological community mm -hmm. uh, at the time philadelphia did not mm -hmm. um so i didn't have access to that so when I was in New York, I got more of that. And then it was just a matter of like doing more and more. Um, and uh, like I said, in 2002, I got an office that I shared with a psychotherapist. And um, we didn't work in tandem, but he was like, you know, when I'm not here, you can use this space. I was like, okay, you know, you know, well, for $250 a month. I was like, okay, you know, so it wasn't like free, right. but um, I got it and I, I really just paid to have some place to study because I didn't have the clients who could have paid for that, but it was kind of my way to, to getting there. Okay. And that was going to be my question was once you hung your shingle, how did you get clients and how, how, how did your business progress when it came to. I'm glad you asked that question, Glenda. So, and it's a, it's a big moment for me. Because I told you what I didn't say, I actually have two degrees in African American studies. So I had my undergrad degree, um, and then I have a graduate degree. But in my early days of counseling, I didn't have anything but white women and white people, right? Mm -hmm. So I was just like, and it took a friend. I mean, I, I was somewhat conscious of it, but I was just like, you know, just doing my work and I was just happy to do, be doing astrology. Yeah. But it took a sister, she was like, you know, you know, well, you know, I guess it, and she said something snide and that was just like her thing, you know? But she was like, but I mean, like you have all your white women. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, like most, I've seen some of your clients who come here or whatever, like they mainly white. And I was like, hmm, that's true. <laughs> so I had to figure out ways, me, to, to get more black clients. Because I was like, well, this, I, that's not going to do. Right? I didn't go into this just to help white people. <laughs> yeah. Right? So 
how my clientele grew is at first I encouraged my clients to tell other people. I said, you know, forthrightly to them, can you tell 10 other people about me? Right. Or can you give me the names and numbers before there was email per se, or email was more of a big thing. I said, can you give me names and numbers of, of people I can contact, you know, who would be interested in a session with me? Mm-hmm. And so that was one way. And then um, I hung up signs um, in Bedside, Brooklyn, which is predominantly black. So I went to a cafe, like, you know, mm-hmm. want to learn about astrology. And I put up my, I had postcards, put up postcards. Someone called me. One sister called me Aries, right? Because the Aries know how to like, you know, they're a sign of Mars. They know how to champion for things. Like she sent like 20 people my way, black people, Mm -hmm. right? And then I started conducting more events at a cafe, classes, got more clients that way, black clients. The next thing you know, um, and then I got on Twitter. Twitter was probably the accelerator um, to more my clientele um because i was on twitter in the early days where black twitter was really forming Mm -hmm. i was fortunate then too and um via my tweets i got you know i would get 80 percent of my new clients from twitter at you know some point and um most of them were black and then when i ended up writing for ebony magazine which was a dream come true you Mm -hmm. know doing horoscopes then you know that kind of sealed the deal and now at this particular point 85 percent of my clientele is black and then 15 percent are other including asian or white okay or latino came through twitter as well hmm? ebony came through twitter as yes, well that's exactly right yeah i'm also interested um for me i i feel that there is a difference in working with different ethnic groups um in some areas, and I would say um, when it comes to religion and spiritual things, there's some differences that I notice. Did you notice any differences from your white clientele, predominantly white clientele, when it switched to a predominantly black clientele? Yes, and, and yes, mainly, but to be fair, I also was a different astrologer as things went on meaning I had gotten more precise in my art and my skill, right? And that's continuously true, yes. right? So to be fair, they got, you know, those early white clients got a novice, you know, more so who was just kind of like, you know, learning. Um, so what I found as a difference, hmm, in, on the practical side, similar issues, but um, my my black clientele really, you know, okay, I put it this way. I found that many of my white clients were still angry about their parents and their religion, right? Um, usually, and they were still processing that and, and those particular things. And on some level, um, I either had the white client who came to me because I was just an astrologer, or I had the white client who came to me like, I want to, you know, I want to support the people, right? 
you know, I want to support a black man, right? Or sometimes I have, you know, and I appreciate that, but you know, I was just like, okay, you've done your liberal good deed for the day. Here's your right. cookie, right? Um, I don't get that with us. I mean, like what I get is a different thing. They may have a different struggle, you know, like I've gotten, you know, many of us, and I've written about this on my blog, many of us struggle with, you know, coming from our traditions. And so like, I am like the first signpost. I'm literally like a lawn jockey in some level, right? Mm -hmm. You know, them coming to me, you know, like, yo, I don't know about Christianity or Islam. (laughs) So I'm I'm gonna try this astrology because I like what you had to say. And you see, you came from that tradition. So are you sure this ain't the devil, right? Yes. (laughs) Never a question ever came from a white person's mouth. I wondered that. Never, right? Then um, in terms of some other cultural dimensions, there's some other things that I think we deal with, particularly I would find more with black, black women that I don't have to say to, um, I don't say to white clients in the same way. I'll give you a very solid example. Um, in, in fact, the black woman a client of mine from three years ago thanked me just last night about this piece of advice I gave her. Because she has a particular placement and that placement, I can even tell you for those who are curious, the Venus in Virgo, right? Mm -hmm. The Venus in Virgo really takes the whole idea of study that show thyself approved unto God that a workman needeth not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth to heart. You know, so in terms of getting love, they feel like they have to kind of really study and do more in order to be worthy of love, you know? Um, And to give like, you know, someone, a man something. Usually I'm talking about heterosexual relationships. I do have many gay and lesbian clients, but you know, this was particularly to a heterosexual woman um, or at least she's bi, but she's dealing with heterosexual relationships. Anyway, um, many black women, if they have this particular placement, the Venus in Virgo, what I say to them is very simple. Don't give your man or someone you're interested in a damn thing first. Do not give him anything. Because what you're doing is like, well, I feel like I need to do something. You know, so if he says like, well, you know, babe, you know, I'm looking to get a job, you know, it's like, oh, I can fix your resume for you, right? Let him show what he's willing to do first, rather than you feeling like you always have to be of service. Being a helpmate doesn't mean you're always the help. Mm. That's a key theme for us, right? Right. So that's something that I say to, you know, people who have that particular aspect, especially if it's prominent in their chart. But I find that that's more of an affliction, you know, um, with black women than it is for white women. Mm. Because Karen, (laughs) let's get it real, you know, Karen is going to always call the manager. Right. Yes. (laughs) Karen right. is always going to get the manager on the phone. Right, right, right. Right? But we kind of like, well, no, you know, this brother's suffering. You know, like, you know, like, okay, he wants to take me out. He can't pay for the popcorn, so I'll pay for us. No. Then make him save his money until he can take you out. Because mm-hmm. if he wants you, because if, if you don't get a man working for you in the beginning, he won't work. Mm-hmm. This right. is just things I've come from observing myself 
from observing other black men and other men, other dynamics. So, I mean, I'm also bringing my experience in relation to the astrology. Right. I have very little knowledge on astrology, but from what you just said, I think that women, period, especially of African descent, could take that advice and it would be beneficial. There are a lot of women. I, I always say, I feel like I've paid a man before to be with me. When I was the one with the car, mm -hmm. and I'd go pick him up and bring him to my house, and then I would feed him. There you Food go. And maybe some other things. Where's your Venus? Where, are, you, are you Leo? I'm a Libra. A Libra. You, you might have a Venus in Virgo. I may very well have that. And then feed him food and maybe some other things and then take him home. And yep. I, I felt like I was gonna, like I'm the underdog, I can save you. Right. I can save you. I can do enough, I can love you enough for you to love yourself. And it took me a while to learn that that's, well, I still have to work on it. it it's right. constant. And my mom I mean, these are things I, I learned. Now, I, I had a good relationship when my parents stayed together and I had a good relationship with my, my father, but, you know, I was like, man, no, you're doing this wrong. I mean, there's something's not right here. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing that I do lament, I don't get to talk to enough black men because I don't want to be one of those brothers who just keeps talking to women, you know, telling them, this is what y'all should do to get married. And I'm like, that's, that's just half the measure. You know, one thing that's sad is not enough brothers come to see astrologers or therapists and they don't really take account of what's going on with them. So, you know, one thing I'll say, lots of sisters are doing the work. Brothers aren't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by and large. I think, you know, so the way you talk about, like the example you just gave, I think it resonates for people because it's very practical, right? Mm -hmm. It's not this pie in the sky, woo woo kind of thing that you can't put your hands on. It's very practical and down to earth, keeping it real, right? So it resonates with the spirit of us and then it makes people want to then uh, continue and get even more and to tell other people and say, oh, this is how this resonated, this is how this manifested for me. Um, can you speak about how you incorporate, so you've mentioned a lot of different traditions of, that, that provide information, right? How do you assess, incorporate all that um, in, in one big pot so that there aren't any contradictions? Well, there's gonna be contradictions, mm -hmm. right? I mean, um, well, how do you then work through the contradictions? Well, and that's important. So the contradictions, ooh, that's a, that's a great question, Anthony. Um, one way I avoid contradictions is I, I try to speak to the experience of the client, where the client is. Mm -hmm. I don't always know, and that's not definitively reflected in the chart. So let's say they are at the brink of leaving their religion, and usually it's Christian. Mm -hmm. I mean, I occasionally have some Muslims who are like at that threshold, but mostly Christians. Mm -hmm. Now, if they're talking about, you know, they're consulting with astrology and they may have a concern, you know, a concern like beyond just the devil, but more so like, well, how's this telling me about my future? And the contradiction really is just a misperception on their part. I'm not telling you about your future. I'm not a fortune teller right. as much as I'm looking at what are the possibilities related to your life 
and then giving you information that you can think through them. Mm -hmm. And some measure of that, and I often will tell clients to have like, to find some measure of a spiritual practice. And I think that's really important because that's a very big distinction between having a religious, um, a religion per se. And let me explain, because uh, that could be like one contradiction people have, you know, like with astrology. Like, so for instance, I'm a Muslim, but if I were to go into my mosque or any mosque and kind of say like, yes, I'm an astrologer. Would you be interested in a consultation? I, I would be thrown out. Like that's haram brother, <laughs> you know? So what have I learned? I've learned, because I had to learn this, because mm -hmm. when I first converted, you know, and I thought about like all the great Islamic scholars who did astrology, you know, and I had an imam who was wonderful, um, who, you know, who brought me into the, the religion. When I say bring me in, like I, I converted under his watch, mm -hmm. you know, um, who, you know, set me aside as like, you can't talk to everybody about this. <laughs> Right. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know. But what I, I've learned um, is that essentially when you start with people where they are and you have a practice, the practice can be more so of your connection with spirit and the divine, which is not just about the religion. I didn't convert to Islam because I believe in all the theology. I'll, I'll tell you honestly, I don't believe in all the theology. Mm -hmm. But it's the practice that I find that works with my spirit. Okay. The end. You know, when I hear the call to prayer, it stirs me. It moves me. It makes me want to pray. Okay. So I, I think there are ways in which you hook into spirit. And in spirit, there are very few contradictions. It's more so realizing what is necessary in this particular moment. And this thing may be necessary in this moment. In another moment, it may not be. I've often wondered, is there a religion? Are there people who practice a religion that they believe absolutely everything in it? If they've done some work to study, um, even just their religion, like the, I think that in, in most religions, there are going to be some contradictions and there are going to be some things that you may, it may not agree with your spirit. I, I, I look at it as like a buffet and I can go to the buffet and I don't have to eat everything on the buffet. I can eat what I want and what agrees with me and, and what I can consume. And I can leave the rest there. I think that, you know, I think that is actually, I heard a statement re really uh, recently, which was that um, no one practices the same religion, right? Mm -hmm. And I think everyone practices a view and a perception of, of their religion that's unique to them um and thinking that this other person is practicing the same but they may not even think of Allah or think of you know the Elohim the same way or Jesus the same way mm -hmm. and I think what you're saying is fundamentally true it's just not many people realize it but I think you were asking a different question right no like no that was it that okay definitely it I, I, just from listening to your story and understanding my own I'm a little bit of a lot of things. Right. And so am I. And so I, I think per what you were asking, Anthony, right? You know, like, well, how do I avoid these contradiction, contradictions in, in terms of talking to people about dimensions of their chart? 
Well, the thing is, what's interesting about astrology, if you ever get like an astrology report, a computerized report, um, you pay like whatever, $9 or, you know, five or whoever, um, often you will get probably contradictory information. You are very conservative um, in terms of how you might approach social issues. Ah, oh, you like to go out and have a good time, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so you're like, which is it, right? The, the benefit of an astrologer is kind of saying like, to be able to see the contours of both. You're someone who might like to have a good time, but you have to be sure that you trust and know these people. So with your family or dear friends, you are seen, you can be very fun loving and, and wild, but in a different social arena, it may be very different for you, like especially at work. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Same thing I just said. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of being able to, Think about it in the very interstitial spaces that exist for people in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's another level here, though, which is the way we're talking about it right here in this past few minutes. It requires that you apply critical thinking and allow yourself to appreciate the complexities of the various religions. But in our society, by and large, that's not the case. That's, so even, that's, go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's completely true. And, and this is why I'm grateful for my, my you know, journey in the wilderness, you know, in terms of like atheism. You know, I think atheism is a way to faith. And w- why I say it that way is that it was during that particular time frame where I was more the agnostic or didn't speak about God that got me reflective on exactly what you're saying. And then, you know, more in a position of like, well, what I believe in, what I don't believe in, mm-hmm. right? And it's not, believe it or not, a lot I believe in. There's a lot I use, but they're very essential things that I'm, I'm hooked into. Like, I believe in our ancestors. Mm-hmm. I believe in spirit. But if you, you know, tell me like, well, you know, the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam is the last prophet. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know if I believe that, but it's useful. Right. I mean, I get what you're saying, right? Or, you know, and I, and I, I get the, and that's why I'm, I, I hook into like, what's the essence of what you're saying, you know? Right. But most people are like, for you to make that statement, it would be akin to making a similar statement in the Christian church. Jesus. Right? Factually makes sense, but the masses are going to <laughs> see you as blasphemous, right? Well, there's a couple different things, layers, just to unpack that. Well, one, I don't believe in masses, mm-hmm. right? Um, why I don't? Because the other degree I got was in public relations. So public relations is all about studying the publics that are involved and in how you have to cultivate unique messages for them, mm-hmm. right? In terms of being able to reach people at different levels. And what that teaches in terms of like the idea of the masses is that there are people who, for whatever reason, have, are more adherent to the fear and they find their identity more in the herd. Now, we could call that masses, right? But you know that can be any particular cluster of people at any particular moment. Absolutely. You know, it can be astrologers with their own idea of astrology. It can become like black nationalists. It can become white nationalists. 
They can become just people who are confused and it's like, well, you know, why can't we just all love one another? You know, right? I'm not saying all people who think that are confused, but yeah, well, okay. But you, you get the idea. <laughs> I know. That was shade. This is shady. That can come from me later. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, we have all these different kinds of people who have that particular moment. And I've been at that moment. So it's, that's what I guess I'm saying to answer. Like, it's realizing, especially, you know, the, the journey of faith teaches you if you're really going to approach it with intellectual humility is to realize that in any given moment, you can have the fallacies of your own logic, mm -hmm. right? It's so as to realize that, you know, and to stay open, to stay fluid, to stay flexible, rather than thinking like, I know. And so one thing yes. I, I don't buy into like, I know, you right. know, like, Right. You know, and and that's something that can bite astrologers in the butt. Many astrologers, because they think like I have the perceptions of heaven, you know, like they'll yeah. say all kinds of whack stuff to people, you know, like oh yes, it's much too late for you now for this. I'm looking at this, and you know, well that ship has sailed for you. Am I? You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? But I think it's what that sounds like to me that you're speaking to is ego and the lack of humility it, and, and it permeates so many different elements of our society even the story you were talking about earlier being in um, graduate school and being in college and the exchange and exploration of ideas right but if the professor is all-knowing and you can't challenge him then ego is getting in the way of the evolution of ideological thought Right, well, really great things that could come forth in religion. The priest or the pastor as the reverent, all-knowing, and it keeps the other people who may have a direct, who do have a direct connection and can get information and may bring forth something that can move themselves, the community, society forward. That gets pushed down because you can't know more than me all-knowing right and we fall into these patterns i think when we look at these various spiritual systems that um hold us back um in in in, in a lot of respects uh and so i really like to push people to go deeper ask another question don't be afraid of the question let's keep asking questions i'm not gonna I don't think I'm going to ever get to a space where, like you said, okay, I've arrived. I know everything. I've got the answer. This is it. Boom. It's the more, the older I get, the more I realize how much I and know. That, that's cool. But also realize that to everything, there's a season and a time. Mm -hmm. Right. And also with that, you know, with the gift of spirit, realizing that, you know, the people who, are willing to be open will find you at that time mm -hmm. right because you know what can happen if you get too locked in the mindset of you know the idea of the masses is that we we start thinking about an elite core or the select or the elect right and that has its own darkness sure. right yeah. um and i think 
you know, realizing that there's some people who may never have that opening and may not heed the call and that there are people who may not heed the call at 22, but will at 42. You know, it's interesting. Right, right. Um, I had a frat brother who, um, 20 years ago, well, when I pledged, he was somewhat religious, but he was like any college kid. He was just like, I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, I like girls. <laughs> oh, right? But, you know, here's my Bible, but here's that girl. Um, mm -hmm. So as he became an adult, he also became a born-again Christian. I remember, you know, telling him I was an astrologer and blah, blah, blah. I hadn't seen him in years. You know, we met up in Brooklyn. And he was like, nah, you know, I'm into the Bible. But, you know, he was still open and cordial to me. Well, Anthony, 10 years later, you know, I'm now living in Newark. I live in Newark. You know, he calls me up and he's like, um, can you, can we talk a little bit about, you know, your journey from being a Christian? Cause you know, I think the Bible is just BS right now. <laughs> and, um, I need some help. I was like, cool, you know, let's talk about it. But I also, I never discourage people from faith. For a very simple reason. One, you have to be careful because when you're talking to someone, because I, one of the, I don't want to get on a, on a tangent, but one of the, the darkest things I've ever done is I was very angry when I left the church and I was very confused, as maybe you were mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. But I never forget this cat came to me and, you know, I was in one of my dark funks, you know, at the dorm and he said, Sam, you know, I see you around. Do you know about Jesus? I'll never forget, I was like looking at TV and I just kind of turned and like, no, why don't you tell me about him, right? <laughs> and so as he was telling me, I started like, well, what about this thing? What about this thing Jesus said, or I heard Jesus said, blah, 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 or something like this. Now I knew what scriptures he was gonna go for, right. whatever. So I systematically tried to unlock, unhinge his faith. Mm -hmm. And I think that was evil, mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell you, yeah. Straight out. Because I was angry and I was like, I can. And so I, I think a lot of people in the spirit of wanting to get people to thinking like, okay, you can do all of that, but do you have something in mind, in place to kind of fit that emo emotional comfort zone that that person needs mm -hmm. after you kind of dismantle all the elements of their faith? If you don't, leave them alone. Right. That's one. Two, I think, you know, as we talked about the work of spirit, you know, it really doesn't matter if you're kind of doing the work of spirit, like, oh, okay, I believe in Jesus, or, you know, I go to this church. It's kind of like, well, I like this particular place and I can work this through this particular faith um, because it's useful for the kind of work of love I want to do. Mm -hmm. As long as you're not doing harm and you're doing it from love, not because you need a Cadillac. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And the masses, there are lots of people who need something to believe in. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's kind of the other critical point. There's a reason why, you know, we, we talk about, you know, um, the law of averages or we have averages, you know, we're, we're along a, a percentage often, you know, in terms. And, and we also need that in order as part of our development. If we all were in the 1% of anything or the 10% of anything, you know, we either would be, you know, at the back end 
or all of us at the front end and we really wouldn't be really advancing right no mm -hmm. you know so i think you know we we need we need that we need all dimensions of the spectrum yes yeah there's just a danger so it, it, it for me it's both and because I, I i remember going through my process where where i was like where you what you just described i did it i was fighting with my parents mm -hmm. right Y'all got this white Jesus. Ah, we get getting these arguments. <laughs> and it, I probably did that for a couple of years. I was in the nationalist phase and just then I finally just hit a point where I said, why am I arguing with them? Like they need something to hold on to. If I if if that was taken away, then what would they do? I remember consciously thinking about that. Like, what would they do? So well, I don't need to argue with them about that. They're good people, they do kind things. Yeah, so, yeah. No, that was wise. That's that's wonderful, you know. And that's kind of how I see it. It's kind of like, well, you know, you you can do that, <laughs> you know. The only thing is, you know, I I see myself as having a ministry now in that particular regard for those who are transitioning to a deeper understanding. Because one of the things I was saying, one of the problems of religion in general. Um, and I know religion has a problem with astrology. I can come back to that. It has a fair critique of astrology. But astrology's fair critique of religion is that you can't give people enough specificity about their lives. Mm. Right? That's unique to their given circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can just tell me, like, well, Jesus died for your sins. Me? You mean me who was born with this and that and also with my mom like that and this? You know, for me? Whereas a chart can have a conversation about your own unique path. Right. That's one. Religion's critique of astrology um, is if we're talking about the eternal soul. And if we're talking about the eternal soul, the critique is like, okay, well, what's astrology going to do for you when you're dead? And what do you need it for? Mm -hmm. You don't. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You have become a star, so you need no more of the star's guidance. In right. That sense. right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, the herd mentality in terms of how it can be persecute, how it can persecute people. Okay, let's talk about that. The flip side that I was um, also because there there are two there are two two dimensions there, and so that other side where the herd would say because you don't believe you. in this way, you are blank. Or because you don't do it in this way, like we all are doing it, that makes you bad or um, blasphemous or, or whatever the label is going to be that the herd might apply. That can be harmful and, 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 and historically has caused people to lose their lives. That's know? true. So, I mean, so let's look at this in two ends, right? So the positive aspect of the herd is that it kept the tribe safe, right? You know. It, it kind of more so curbed a certain deviancy, both in terms of often, you know, good ways, right? In terms of, well, I should say for good people, there may have been some quote unquote deviancy that might have led to like building ships sooner than when we built ships, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, someone looked at someone building a boat, like, ah, that's stupid. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. They float on water, you know, but it could have been like, like we could have been, you know, right. you know, doing all kinds of other things, you know, millions of years before. But someone was like, that that dude is crazy. He's right. like, look at him underwater, right? <laughs> so 
we actually, that's a bad thing. But there are other good things about it. It's like, what's he doing with that goat? <laughs> right? Uh-huh. I don't think what he's doing with that goat is a good idea. Let's stone him. You know, it probably was like a thing that was necessary to avoid disease and also kind of destroying more of the tribe, the feeling of the tribe. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm just talking about real stuff. Like, it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I know I give these weird examples, but you, it's like, Right. But that's kind of like the, the, the good and as, badness aspect of it. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I would say, I always say to people, I was saying, you either can view yourself as an exile, which is what you're talking about, or the one who starts a colony. So in this sense, right, especially for those who are along a certain spiritual path in the Black community, and I believe that's what we're talking about exclusively yeah. here, is that, you know, it's realizing that on some level, we may be beginning colonies mm-hmm. and we are dealing with the experience of exile. So let me talk a little bit about being a black astrologer. Um, when I went to my first astrology conference, as I mentioned, I was the only black person there. Mm-hmm. Right. And that has you know, if you're black, and I'm sure you've had this experience, Glenda, you've had this experience, Glenda, uh, Anthony, you go to some place and you're the only black person there, right? right? Something we just, like in America, you get used to it. Right. Um, and for me, my first conference, um, I was going out to lunch, it was a break, and um, I got on after these white women who, you know, were at the conference. And as I stepped onto the escalator and kind of like smile, this one white woman looked back at me, redhead, and she grabbed her purse. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, so that, that's what's following us here. Mm-hmm. Now, what's cool is that eventually she and I became friends. But that was her first reaction to me. It was like, okay, all right. So you saw me with my, and you haven't met me in person, but I'm 4'11". So you saw me with my 4-foot, 11-inch frame, and you were just scared. <laughs> all right. <laughs> So, all right, you, that's fine. Okay. You know? But, and I didn't go in, like, I'm going to make her my friend. You know, I just thought she was just some other white one, but I got to know her in the community and blah, blah, blah. But I made a resolution. Um, my resolution is that I, I said, like, you know, we were involved in this too, not just as the Moors, but also in terms of how you want to talk about Egyptian and Kemetic civilization. It was like, um, and, you know, kind of to, to quote uh, one comedian, like, I'm not scared of you mofos, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I grew up with y'all. Y'all have tried to intimidate me and my family, different permutations all my life. Um, so, you know, what I'm going to do is work to bring more, more of us into the fold here. And I also made a resolution I talk about openly on Twitter, so I have no problem talking about it here. What my studies in Black Studies taught me is that it is no longer in our best interest to try to get a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, I just want to get a seat at the table and, you know, just let me have a chair. Mm-hmm. I tell people very openly, like, no, no, I don't want a seat at the table. I want the table. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're, we're, we're going to have the table. Right. And, and, and that doesn't mean for me, you know, that I need my own table and you have your table kind of like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to be daring, as you mofos were, 500 years to kind of redefine and define humanity for you. 
Right. So we're going to define humanity on our terms for you and for us. You don't like it, I don't care. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> right? right. You, you know, it's like, I can't do any worse than you. That's cool. <laughs> I can't do any worse than you. So, and I probably, you know, will do a lot better by virtue of our unique experience of servitude. Mm-hmm. Without being angry and being like, well, I'm going to make you suffer as I said. No, no, no. It's just like, we're going to look out for humanity, starting with ourselves. Right. Right. So what I did learn from Dr. Asante wasn't so much about Afrocentrism, right? But also the primacy of African life and the primacy of, of us in relation to others, which is not to say that we value ourselves above others, but value ourselves first in relation to others. Right. So, you know, you know why I'm happy to go on programs like this and go on programs like Karen Hunter's show and my work in terms of, you know, working on different organizations, astrology organizations, I make very clear, like, no, I, I plan to bring more like me here. Yeah. Just so you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I understand how power works in the bank, like, well, we like blah, blah, blah. Like, well, and I messed up, you know, I mean, you know, one, like I told you, being in the wilderness kind of freed me of a lot of things. Um, you know, if some white people, and I've had debates like this, they kind of say to me, like, well, you know, that's just racism. That's reverse racism, just to kind of focusing on bringing more black people, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, it's all right. I mean, y'all are dying. You're not reproducing at the number that you're supposed to be reproducing. You won't, you know, you're at the end of that history of your history as that in terms of like dominating by virtue of being white. Right. So, you know, it's going to be someone else anyway. Why did you think you have a black president? even though, you know, he might've been some problems with him, but it's just going to be more of us. We're not going away. We might look different. They might speak Spanish, right? (laughs) But there's just going to be more of us and it's not more of you. So this is either going to be your reality or you're going to spin in denial of your reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, That's my perspective. So I'm starting with astrology, but I tell that to my clients and people on Twitter, do it with everything, you know, and, or anything. But people kind of like, that sounds like integration. I'm not trying to integrate. I'm trying to lead the way. That's right. <laughs> integration was kind of like, well, I just want to sit at the table with you. No, I want to be the head of the board. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. Anyway, that's my, my little political take with it, but that's kind of the influence. Hey, that, that's necessary. That's what we are pushing forward and getting people, challenging people to think about. Like, we have to flip the mindset and look at how we position ourselves, how we center ourselves first and not in relation to what somebody else is doing or right. how we're looking at it. We create our own framework. We don't have to follow this broken down framework that doesn't even work for them. <laughs> so just briefly off of that, my profession, I have a salon and spa where we do natural hair. I've been in the industry for I've been in the industry 30 years. I've owned a a salon for 20 of those 30 years. But 30 Uh years ago, when I started doing natural hair on women of African descent, people looked at me like I had two heads. Mm -hmm. I said, Linda, what are you going to do with that? Oh, why are you, where are you going to get a relaxer? What is that? No one really understood it. I spent my days explaining to women what natural hair was. Because women of African descent believed their hair was natural if it grew out of their head, even though it had been processed with a curl or a relaxer. 
I had to really just go into detail and explain what that was. And most of my clients would, would get a braid, would get their hair braided or get a weave in the summer so it wouldn't mess up their relaxer or they couldn't wear it relaxed in the summer. It was straight. And I would, I would do that and just educate them. It gave me time to be with them to share and get an understanding of what it is like to wear the hair the way the creator has it growing out of your head. There's a reason for that. Now let's fast forward. And the salon was not a natural salon. I would say 99% of the people in the salon had relaxed hair. It transitioned over the years. Now we're in 2020 and even before that, and almost no one comes into the salon for a relaxer. The natural hair care industry is the largest growing industry in all of the beauty industry. And had I followed everyone else, I would be behind because I wouldn't be as knowledgeable and prepared to do what I do today. So it's a whole different industry, but it's the same thing mm -hmm. in that I knew that what I needed to do was not follow. I needed to lead. And even if I only had one person listening to me when I started, eventually other people would understand. Yep. So now you, you actually follow a principle that I learned from reading. I didn't study with Bruce Lee. So I'll, I'll share it with you. <laughs> so here's a, a, you don't know if you can see it clearly. There's a line. You see that line there? I do. Okay. So how do you make that line shorter? Take a guess. How would you make that line shorter? What, what are some things that could... Back up. What? Back up. Back it up? Back away from it. You know, back away. What else can I do to make the line shorter? Cut it in half. Cut it in half. What else? I could, like, do it, whatever. What else? Anything else? Um, you could tear the paper. And I could tear the paper. Um, you know, some people say, you know, um, yeah. I could tear the paper, cut it in half, all these other things. Here's the thing that you were just talking about, Glenda. You can lengthen your own line. Mm. See? I don't know if you can see that. Yes. Yeah, you made the line yes. underneath. You lengthen your own line, right? What we have done in relation to, you know, largely other folk, mainly white folk, is that we've been focused on shortening their line mm -hmm. and not lengthening our own. And, you know, some measure of that is, you know, doing more concentration in terms of talking among ourselves about the dimensions of spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, it's also working with those who are willing to be allies and led mm -hmm. by us, right. right, which is also right. important. That's a very important, I'm glad um, and led there. <laughs> right. Right, because it's not about being an ally and being like, you know, well, now I'm going to start up this movement, you know, and blah, blah, blah. It's this white dude. No, it's not. Right. right? Um, and willing to be educated by us. Mm -hmm. um, these are the particular, you know, and things relation to us. Mm -hmm. And we being willing to kind of, one thing I think that I do lament is that I don't see still a lot of, of us at astrology conferences or writing the mass books or things like that. And what I hear, you know, for those of us who are not still steeped in religion and thinking it's the devil's work or um, whatever, what I hear is like, well, we created it. We shouldn't have to, you know, study with them or, you know, 
deal with them. Mm-hmm. And I, on some level, I do understand that. And when I say I understand that, because of the legacy of racism, I mean, like, you don't, you don't want to have to go someplace and someone clutch their purse or look at you kind of sideways or wondering if you're going to steal if you're here because your hair is funny or you, you know, dress funny or you have a different name um, or a different funny sounding quote unquote name like Barack. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, you don't want to deal with that, but here's the thing. The, the key thing is that there are dimensions of the arc of what is studied in astrology, for example, mm-hmm. that are in books at particular discussions and conferences that you're not going to get online. And so it's information. That's one. And two, I think, like I said, it, it's being daring enough to become leaders in all different aspects of industry, you know? And it's also kind of bringing together some of the lessons that we've learned from the last century. So I remember like in my studies, it's a whole big question in the 20th century, early 20th century, between Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois, and then also, you know, throwing Marcus Garvey in the mix, right? And I remember I went through a phase where I was just like, Booker T. Washington was just, you know, Uncle Tom Negro, he was just wrong, blah, blah, blah. But it was more so my 30s after I had been so way, you know, lived some, gotten away from just like my youth and what I thought about, you know, Afrocentrism. I was like, there was wisdom to what Booker T. Washington wanted to do and said, which was, you know, and I'm talking about this in relation to astrology, but as we prepare for the next age and different things, his idea was become like so necessary in the framework of, you know, the society. They can't think of anything happening without you. Right. Now, his problem, where this is where I do agree with Du Bois, is that he didn't see that needing to be political. Right. I'm thinking, well, both. You know, be instrumental in terms of all developments and then at the same time, be instrumental in the politics. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's where we can reach a different level of it, because it's, it, it's definitively not enough to kind of just say like, well, we just need a little space at the table. We've gotten at the table, then pushed out, pushed under the table, table thrown on us. <laughs> All kinds of things mm-hmm. have happened by just getting the piece of the table. Mm-hmm. And so like my particular mission related to astrology is to encourage, you know, a generation of black astrologers who are doing the work um, related to us and also to other white folks. And, and it's happening. You know, there's... When I started, like, for instance, on Twitter, I was one of maybe three or four uh, astrologers, black astrologers there. Now I can count a greater number of black astrologers. You know, I was just talking with one today who we were debating about something related to conferences. And I'll say, have you ever been to an astrology conference? And she's like, yeah, where I met you. And then you gave me a reading. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) My fault, my bad. But it was actually a good moment because I was like, okay, I can I can see in this pic that she's a sis, but I was like, I didn't know, you know, what she had done, but here she was. And so there's this definitely this growth that's happening. And it comes from, you know, encouragement. And I also, you know, I'll do that under the rubric of like multiculturalism, like, okay, you you transgendered, you gay, blah, blah, I don't care, you black. You know. Right. I'll get it all in right. so that, you know, we're 
we're not, not just represented, but we're also growing because that's also what's happening. There's a good number of them who are becoming leaders in the community. You know, Mecca Woods is, um, she just came out with a mass public paperback. Um, and there hasn't been someone who's written a book, a black person who's written uh, an astrology book mass produced in decades or a decade, you know, probably the one you might know is Black Sun Signs by Thelma Balfour, yes. mm-hmm. right? But this is a sister who's coming out and who, you know, um, has worked with me, has also benefited from, you know, different classes, things like that. So it just takes being out there and making that happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, um, we're at we're at our time and- We sure are, yeah. We haven't even, Del, we haven't even dove into the astrology part. Right. We've been, but it's been so fruitful. Like this is the information we've discussed has been really, really good. I know our listeners are going to really appreciate this, and we're just going to have to do a part two. Okay, bring me on. Well, you know, you know, whenever you want to do it again. I enjoyed myself meeting both of you. Thank you. So it's been wonderful, and um, kind of being. I'm assuming this is your home, so I feel like I'm. In your home, you're in my home, so yeah. we're kind of meeting each other's home. So, um, but and thank you. The age of COVID nineteen, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think and this is going to be an interesting moment for for us, not just as Black folk, mm-hmm. um, but you know, for the world. But I think for us, you know, where we find different ways of coming together, um, that's one particular benefit. I think. I think two is it, it's a reminder to stay vigilant. Yeah. You know, when I say vigilant, not just in terms of our, our health and washing our hands and doing all these other things, but um, but also in terms of our government, because mm-hmm. you know we know how this goes. Best believe that the government's going to try to find some way to be harder hard on the citizenry. If I can say one last thing before we go, mm-hmm. other than where people can find me. Yes. Um, the one thing I will say in terms of this level of vigilance that I think is really important per our own history is recognizing that, you know, if America catches a cold, we get pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, you know, in relation to the pandemic and our, what's complicated in the black community, but anything that is coming down now in terms of hyper surveillance and other issues that we've been talking about with the police, you know, in terms of Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. for the last decade mm-hmm. now white people are going to see more mm-hmm. you know because it always takes them like 10 15 years to wow. kind of catch up like you know like what well, we had the drug crisis now they're like look at the drug crisis thank you yeah, yeah. that drugs <laughs> yeah. Right? right so i think they'll they'll see like there's ways in which our there's been compromises to our privacy and a sense of citizenry mm-hmm. that that we have been seeing seeing and experiencing for a long time that I think is going to become more universal in our country. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and, you know, people, you can find me at unlockastrology.com and you can write me at unlockastrology at gmail.com. Okay. And what's your Twitter? SF Reynolds. So Sam Fred Reynolds, SF Reynolds All right. on Twitter and also Instagram. Great. Great. So I need us. I need to, talk with you soon. Okay, let's do it. Yes. <laughs> All right, I look forward to it, Glenda. Okay. All right. So, like I said, we will be doing a part two. Hold tight, listeners. Don't worry about it. We'll get it set up. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy 
I know you have enjoyed this conversation as we certainly have. It's been very enriching, enriching and enlightening. And we look forward to uh, moving forward with part two. As always, we know we want you to critically think about things that we're talking about. Don't take what anybody is telling you as the gospel truth. Find your own truth because you have genius inside of you and the ability to tap into spirit and figure out how you need to walk your path. So until next time, uh, thanks again for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Yeah, talking about spirit. So in closing, we'd like to encourage you to embrace the concept of change and learning something new. Continue to evolve, continue to transform, continue to thrive, and find your own personal path to tapping into spirit. I was obviously too blind and probably too weak to see who was responsible for my losing streak.